Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Roots, a podcast where we talk about talk to uh, creators and DIYers and engineers that are working on uh, space projects. Today in the studio, we have Applied Ion. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey Jay, thanks for uh, for having me here. It's it's awesome to be here. Yes, good good to have you again. If you guys have not checked it out, uh, listen. We recorded an episode for. Um, the Janky to the Max podcast, uh, I believe it is season two, episode one, um, where we talked to um, Plight Ion about um, rockets and uh, some of the engines he's making for small satellites. Uh, it's a fan- great episode, Thruster Duster, check it out. Um, and this is, this is our first episode, so this is kind of going to be a little bit of a... <laughs> experiment we're trying a lot of new stuff out here today so <laughs> stay tuned um so uh, for those of you uh for the listeners who have not uh gone back and listened to the episode which they should totally do by the way um give us like a, a brief summary of what you do what you work on and kind of where you're at yeah, so uh, currently i run applied ion systems um so i'm actually developing electric propulsion systems for for Nano satellites, namely uh, pocket cubes and cubesats. Um, so I really focus on on really all types of plasma and ion thrusters. Uh, so I built several different modules, and and this all started out kind of as a, a hobby on the side. And talking more with the community, um, I saw that you know there's a lot of need for this stuff, and, and being super expensive and, and rather inaccessible. So I've I decided to focus on you know making very low-cost, affordable, and open-source thrusters. Uh, all my work so far is um, posted completely openly, uh, everything on the website and Applied Eye on Twitter and Instagram and everything. I share all the details, really you know, engage the community, showing them the entire process of what I go through, all the successes and failures and everything in between. That's fantastic. Yeah, we need more people like that, for sure. Wait, so I, I last, uh, last episode we talked about ion thrusters. I don't remember. Did we ever cover plasma thrusters? Uh, yeah, we did. So, so there were the the two main thrusters that I talked about previously. The um, the pulse plasma thruster um, that I built. So that's actually the two of them um, are going up to space this July. At the end of July, oh. they're scheduled for launch. So this will be the first time that Applied Ion Systems is orbital. Yes, um, which that is really me- crazy. Because this this stuff was just built at home um you know on the desk so to actually have this flown in space with my name on and everything is a really exciting step yeah, yeah you're gonna have to yeah. send me like if, if there like uh are they gonna record the launch like I the should... launch actually will be live i believe and recorded so i'm definitely that's that's i believe it's going to be in california uh, okay um, i can i can get you the the actual details of that yes um, do that We'll have to have, that oh, yeah. would be awesome to... because that that's just, oh that's incredible launching open source hardware to to space is is incredible <laughs> uh, so an important part of um important part of you know developing and really anything for space is uh, creating a vacuum chamber now i understand you've made one a completely diy vacuum chamber in your garage uh, yeah, so so it turns out if uh, especially if you're in the U.S., there's um, a huge surplus market for high vacuum equipment. Um, definitely a ton on eBay, and uh, just in general, there's a bunch of companies out there that that sell um, some more affordable vacuum hardware options. Um, but there actually is uh, a whole 
do-it-yourself vacuum hacking community around the world. Um, so it's sciences like this are definitely much more accessible now, and and there's really great stuff happening, uh, and anywhere from basic plasma physics to uh, neutron sources, a lot of do-it-yourself semiconductor stuff, and and with my stuff, uh, propulsion now. So so uh, lots of lots of really great ways to actually get into high vacuum sciences, um, and lots of people out there that can connect with this. Uh, so yeah, I I, I built um, the system and designed it around surplus hardware and stuff I was able to obtain. Um, so give us a picture. Like, what what does it look like? Is it just like a giant glass tube with like a little vacuum on the end, or is it is it is it like some other different form factor that I'm missing? Uh, so it, it uses a standard type of um, hardware standard in high vacuum. It's called Conflat. Um, so it's based around this type of uh, metal sealing surface, so it has a, a knife edge in it that bites into copper gaskets to make seals for a very high vacuum. Um, and you can also use uh, rubber seals depending on what vacuum level you're going to. Um, but it's a it's a it's a very typical, common standard. So it's not all glass. This type of um, a system, it's it looks like a lot of metal okay. tubing. And I do have a glass viewport on the front, and you can actually see. Um, on on the Applied Ion Systems website, there I have a whole vacuum systems page um, oh. where I actually have the propulsion vacuum system, and there's also you know the um, I have thermal simulations for that. I have uh, vacuum pumping simulations with you know all free software and all the calculations. So if you actually wanted to go through, um, I have some tutorials and and all the calculations up for all the stuff, so you can actually see how this was all designed and assembled. Wow. That is wow. That is really good. <laughs> so, like, what's the what's like the price point for for the whole system assembly? Um, let's see. Like well, rough uh, estimate, not like rough rough <laughs> estimate. Probably including all the stuff that I messed up on because that ends up adding cost too. Uh, one thing I learned is if you can avoid it, don't build your own chiller system. Chiller um, system. <laughs> Yeah, just the because one of the one of the high vacuum pumps I run called a diffusion pump, um, pumps, uh, they air out actually by spraying oil through these um, stacked jets, and it entrains and entraps the particles, and has huge compression ratios from the in inlet to the outlet. Um, so you're talking about you know order of like a million compression ratio, um, to be able to draw high vacuum. Um, but that also requires, you know, high vacuum, or high, uh, it requires some cooling because it's essentially just an oil boiler. I mean, you have to maintain it at, at some reasonable temperature level. Um, so I had the idea of, well, I'll just build my own uh, closed-loop chiller system so I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, ice cooling and, and other stuff, and it would be easy. Um, turns out I was, I was a little bit wrong. So I ended up spending a lot on, on that endeavor, which worked for a while. Um, but really, the whole high vacuum system, all the parts, um, there's only a few parts, really. There's there's a couple of pieces that make up the chamber itself. I think, like, two major pieces, they look like um, T's made out of tubes. Um, and those were maybe uh, a couple hundred dollars each. And then the viewport, um, okay, so everything else, this... probably, probably around... 1500 or so for, wow. for everything that's including really? pumping that's including cooling that's including all the hardware nuts and bolts and everything um so if you do 
you have to do a lot of good due diligence mm -hmm. in searching around and patience and waiting for the right deals to pop up. Um, and definitely studying ahead of time will help save cost. I know before I even started building this thing, I spent a year in advance um, just gathering materials and resources and designing and prepping just to make sure that when I flipped it on, it would just work. And it um, did it? Did, did it work first shot? Yeah, no, it worked. It works first shot oh, great. Um, skills! <laughs> so that, that, that was really was really awesome um right now it's currently uh down because one of the pumps i got uh the the backing pump which is just the roughing pump needed to back the main primary pump um that one died i got a, a cheaper one just save cost i couldn't afford a, a scientific one mm. um just a regular two-stage uh, refrigeration unit mm -hmm. um, so i'm gonna have to get a new one at some point um okay yeah Wow, that like I mean, I was expecting it to be a lot more than than that. I mean, that's not cheap, but at the same time, that's not. <laughs> yeah, normally it is. If you if you were if you were doing this, um, no, if you if you actually have the you know more um, typical propulsion company, for example, mm -hmm. um, you're you're going to end up seeing you know off the shelf whole systems or custom systems, and that that'll range you know tens of thousands of oh, dollars minimum. Uh, so, so being able to actually do this yourself um, not only helps save the cost, but also gives you an advantage that you know the system inside and out. You can um, right. debug it if you're having trouble pumping. Um, it really helps with with testing down the road. Yeah, that, that, that's the. I mean, that's the benefit of doing de doing it yourself. So you can save money, but also you know you know the system so that when it when it does break down, you know you aren't going to be having to rely on someone else. You just go in there, fix it, and move on to the next thing. Yeah, and, and like how how big would you say this is? Like, um, I mean, is it um, twelve <laughs> by twelve feet? Is it? No, uh, the the entire oh. thing sits on top of a, a small, let's see, two by three by two eighty twenty table. Uh, okay. the, the actual chamber itself, the the pieces that I got are based off of six inch conflat hardware. So the flange itself is six inches. And then the actual tubing diameter um, that make up the chamber is is around four inches. Okay. So it's actually a very quite compact system, um, which, which is nice for the thrusters that I do because I, I work on very small thrusters, usually right. in the pocket tube size. So I don't need um, you know massive chambers that you can walk into that you normally see for for larger propulsion places. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that that's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah. You only need. A small space you don't have to have the yeah that's that's really good having having more space is nice from the perspective of there's certain diagnostics like if you're a if you have a, a probe that sweeps through the 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 plume you can actually um you know characterize Wait, the like how the, the plume shape is and, and doing other stuff is is very useful and there are some effects um down the road like if you're doing more advanced stuff like the effects of the walls and maybe affect how how you measure things and the characteristics of that. But for for a lot of pretty much for all the testing that I'm doing, that stuff isn't super critical. Okay. Wow. So the plume, I take it that's the like the exhaust or the not the exhaust, but like the yep, that's the exhaust. Okay. So either either the plasma plume or, or the ion beam that that comes out depending on the type of thruster that's being run. Okay. All right. So and then you can measure use okay, put the prototype measure that. Interesting. Wow. 
Okay. So, like, what what are some good resources to, like, where did you start in your whole process? Like, how, how did you, like, even come to the, the thing of, you know, I want to build a vacuum chamber? Was it, like, when you wanted to first get into, uh, like, open source, space, uh, small sat hardware, and then you're like, oh, I need a vacuum chamber for this? Or, like, what was... What was your whole? This this was way way before. Um, I've always been interested in in plasma physics and high vacuum pulse power accelerators. Um, so for a long time, I've actually wanted to eventually get into um, high vacuum plasma physics systems and, and build a, the chamber. I just never that initial jump to to go in and, and dive into purchasing the equipment and, and getting involved with it. Um, so two years ago, I, I decided to finally bite the bullet and 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 start actually pursuing some of these projects and um, propulsion actually didn't come until much later uh, it turned out I was I was working on a, on a different system uh, a high intensity electron beam um, and I had some leftover parts for for a second small chamber and I thought you know well I, I like propulsion propulsion's awesome electric thrusters look really cool and they combine a whole bunch of areas that that I'm interested in so uh, why not you know, play around with this stuff on the side and give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And um, I started sharing the projects a little bit more and connecting with people in the small satellite community. Um, I was introduced to, to, to more of these groups, especially in the pocket cube uh, realm. Mm-hmm. And I, I transitioned more into to fully developing for these types of systems because um, at the pocket cube level, there's, there's no propulsion. Um, out there currently oh. there's a bunch of companies doing micro propulsion for for cubesats a lot of big names out there um but nothing for pocket cubes yet just because you're so restricted on space and right. power uh it's it's really a challenge to scale this stuff so is that what you're going to try to work for next is figuring out how to do propulsion for a pocket cube uh, actually that's 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 really where i started um really because in electric in electric propulsion um scaling is the, probably the biggest challenge that 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 everyone faces scaling smaller going bigger actually ends up becoming much easier especially right. with some of the higher power systems the physics allows it to work out more in your favor but going really really tiny makes it really hard and i figure you know start with a smaller system first of all it'll probably be cheaper and easier to build and assemble myself at home and then um once i tackle those major issues then scaling up to a cubesat really isn't as you know it's it's much easier and you know, going from like with the new thruster that I'm working on, this electrospray thruster, starting with a pocket cube module, it's insanely tight. Mm. But if I'm looking at scaling it for our CubeSat, um, these particular thrusters are nice because you can parallel them um, right. as clusters. And just looking at the difference in space and power between a CubeSat and a pocket cube is is just unbelievable it's like it's like going from like a tiny cardboard box to wide open planes in some sense <laughs> so it's uh there's, it's, it, it, it's, it gives a lot more flexibility it's smart starting small like so part so pocket cube that's like when it's five inch or is it five, uh, centimeter? five centimeter cube that is so, so like small a, uh, it's, it's tiny and it's re- it's a real challenge to fit all these systems because yeah. i mean if you're if you're talking propulsion um, you're also going to need some sort of attitude control, some so, so some sort of reaction wheel or, or active magnet torquing, mm-hmm. um, and then you know for power, there's also solar panels. Um, not a lot of them have deployable panels yet, but there are definitely groups that have done deployables and are working on that to improve the power density. And then you know you have your 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 um, commu- communications, your telemetry, your your just 
processing. So it's a lot of space. It's a lot of stuff to cram into this tiny yeah. little space. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Oh, wow. Wow. What a. So do you deal with like reaction wheels and or do you just work solely in the pr propulsion? Uh, propulsion. There's so much to do in propulsion that that that, that consumes all of my time and energy. Mm -hmm. um, but there are there are actually people in in the community that are working on reaction wheels. Um, there, there. I know uh, Alba Orbital has maybe I think some systems for theirs, and there's also another guy in the um, Flame Trench chat, chat oh. that is actively working on on the uh, the reaction wheels so he's actually building themself himself at home um so he's working with a lot of 3d printed structures and really tiny micro wheels and everything um, and i'm actually i'm actually going to be uh probably collaborating with him on you know working out a way that we can combine our two systems uh, so at cool. least in form factor so you know i gave him all the all the, the um dimensions and, and bolt hole patterns and everything and he's going to size his reaction wheel system so that it could be used in conjunction um with this type of system i'm gonna have to talk to him that that sounds really interesting yeah wow there's there's so much and there's it always amazes me how much stuff that you have to pack into this tiny i mean five centimeters that's oh gosh i have calipers right here so i can measure that out that's like how for for for, for like propulsion and reaction wheel type stuff you're gonna end up probably going with a larger cube set so um, with the thrusters that are actually going up in July, those are on 1.5 MP pocket cubes. So that's about seven and a half centimeters long. Um, and then like a 2P is, is 20 centimeters, 3P is 30 centimeters. So same kind of thing with the, the cube sets with like the 1U, 2U, 3U, mm -hmm. where you're just stacking blocks. But it's still very, very tight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, for for sure. And so, like, what are what are some of the getting back to vacuum systems? Like, what are the, some of the like biggest challenges you had to work through when you were, were going through it? Um, a lot of the big challenges. Again, there's there's no there's no real like set blueprint or anything. A lot of times, vacuum systems are just built with um. The, very very application specific mm -hmm. um and there's tons of different options and really going going with um surplus parts after i had to optimize and design around what i could actually get so one of the big challenge first challenges was going from the conflat hardware which is the inlet of, of, of the, the chamber to the diffusion pump um which is pumping down on the system which is a different type of um standard so i had to actually design a adapter plate that that connects to the pump on one side the chamber on the other side but also has a water-cooled baffle held in the center baffle um, because yeah so it's a it's a the type of device that's used to prevent um particular backstreaming into the vacuum systems okay. so it, it uses like this double chevron type pattern on the inside that has a water cooling line that passes through okay and for diffusion pumps if you just run without um, type of a baffle or cold trap, some of the vapors will actually escape up into the chamber and contaminate stuff. So with having a cold trap or a water-cooled baffle there, um, when the vapors actually hit um, like the, the cooled metal structures, it'll condense and fall back down so it keeps your system clean. Um, so that was a different kind of standard. So I had to, uh, I, I designed the plate system in a way that it allowed me to 
attached to all these things together, sandwiched together, and then bolted to the chamber as well. So it's a very um, multi-purpose and, and multifunctional hmm. um, assembly. But, but then, you know, bolting everything together is, a, is, is takes a long time. I mean, the, the six-inch Conflat hardware, I think, has 16 bolts around it. Ooh. And you don't, you don't just go, you know clockwise or counterclockwise like one two three four five you have to go in kind of this um weird reversing star pattern mm -hmm. um so you have to go a little bit a little bit at each time just so that way is when you're compressing the the um gasket it's compressed very evenly and uniformly oh. between the the knife edges so you have to tighten everything kind of so um, all 16 in, bolts. In a special you have to do like a like a half turn on one volt, half turn next one, half turn all the way around. But then then you're doing it in like a non you know, just straight around pattern. You're going you're starting at the top and then you're going, you know, oh. bolts over and then eight bolts over and then you go up again and then you reverse direction and <laughs> it's it's a it's oh. it's a it's a pain. I've gotten good at it with the, with the propulsion thing now because um, when I'm doing testing, I have to mount and demount. Um, oh, that's right. The so yeah, you have flange. to take, you have to take off the whole assembly. Uh, well, yeah, just just the end piece that there's a feed through that has electrical connections um, that I they attach for the cha for the thruster for feeding and power and signals and everything, and and that that can be a real pain taking that on and off and oh. and I've had I've had times where. Um, I, t I put it on, I, I did a quick check, everything was working, I tightened it up, I did a check again to make sure all the connections were right before I started pumping, and it turns out that something slipped out, so I had to move that and, and do it again, and it's it's time-consuming. Um, I'd say that's what, probably the biggest pain with working with these systems, besides leak checking. Mm, leak um, checking? So you have to check for, yeah, for so leaks, for like cooling or something? Uh, for, for, for air. Um, so oh. for my system, I actually don't really have that an issue. I've never actually had leak issues, but with high vacuum, there's a lot of weird stuff that can happen. You can have virtual leaks. Um, so you, if you have like a, a bolt on the inside screwed into a plate, or something, um, you can actually have trapped gas inside between the threads and the spacing. Oh. And that will actually act as a virtual leak and can take a really long time to to actually outgas and then you know fingerprints i mean if you're working on high vacuum stuff you're not you know touching on the inside with with just your bare hands it always has it always has to be cleaned and 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 you know kept clean mm -hmm. wait, wait um, so clean high, because high, va high vacuum to clarify do you high vacuum do you mean like large vacuum or like uh more or, uh, high, high vacuum refers so the higher the vacuum the lower the pressure okay um, so in terms of, um, of typical units, one of the common ones is like Tor or, or Millibar. And, you know, for, for atmosphere, it's about 760 Tor uh, for rough vacuum levels. So the levels you start out with before you can turn on the high vacuum system, that's anywhere from atmosphere down to 10 to the minus 3 Tor. And then switching on to the high vacuum system you know there's there's the medium vacuum so mm -hmm. you know 10 to the minus 5 to 10 to the minus 3 tor and then high vacuum which is like 10 to the minus 6 to 10 to the minus 9 and then you have ultra high vacuum which is like the really really 
high grade scientific stuff. So 10 to the minus and 10 to the minus 11. And then even further, there's just the extreme um, high vacuum, which is, which is like real state of the art stuff that, that goes mm-hmm. super, super deep. Uh, um, but for my purposes, when I say high vacuum in the levels I'm testing at, um, I usually turn the thruster on into the minus five tour. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, it's a middle level, um, moderate right. vacuum. You still need a high vacuum pump for it, but it's not like anything insane okay. to get to. All right. So it just means the more like, you know, this is, this is a new concept for me. It's <laughs> so it, the high, the more the, it's a vacuum, the more pressure difference, like from the outside to inside. Uh, is that kind well, of- actually, once you once you pump out, um, even at rough vacuum levels, like super super low rough mm-hmm. um, levels, most of the air is actually out. So when you're getting into the high vacuum realm, what what you're doing is is it's really becomes a difference in in um, actual particles in the system. Okay. So oh, so so a vacuum isn't. It's not like. Um like a binary state like okay this is oh vacuum. no it's it's not it's definitely you it's can never achieve scale. perfect vacuum there's always going to be some okay. um, some level of particles still flying around in there and you know the, the the physics of flow changes when you start getting to high vacuum you start getting into to a, a regime called molecular flow mm-hmm. um where where the particles actually um encounter collisions with the walls more than they do themselves and there's different um, mean-free paths that the particles can travel at different vacuum levels. So I, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I think at like 10 to the minus um, 3 or so, which is still kind of um, rough vacuum level, you're talking about a mean-free path of, path of um, you know, centimeters before they have collisions and then oh. at high vacuum it goes to you know meters and then even like oh. ultra high vacuum it's like you know miles before actual particles that interact with each other so so in reference like what what's the vacuum of space well is, uh, so the, is that like so the, the vacuum is yeah vacuum of space i believe is 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 much still much much higher than anything we can actually really? achieve okay. uh, well it, it, it depends where you are i mean interstellar mm. space is like is just absurd that those levels we we haven't been able to reach yet i don't believe mm. um low earth orbit i believe um like where, where a lot of the the nanosats are going that i'd be um working with is is around you know 10 to the minus six tor type okay. um, so very similar to, to to the region where i'm at um okay. my vacuum system now but you know at that level even though it's it's a it's a very good vacuum um there, there's still a lot of particles flying around yeah yeah wow i learned a lot of new stuff today <laughs> uh yeah okay all right interesting all right so um oh wait so i guess another question would be how do the thrusters behave differently from a non-vacuum state to a vacuum state like what's the is is it just like what's the difference what's the the reason for putting the stuff in a vacuum in the first place uh so there's definitely there's definitely a, a lot of there's a there's a lot of things to consider um so depending on the thruster you run you can actually operate at different vacuum levels like i know resistor jets can operate at at pretty poor vacuum you can you can operate those at at roughing vacuum levels um plasma thrusters you can tip you can get away with 10 to the minus 4 tor 
typically more 10 to the minus 5. And then for ion thrusters, you have to go even higher vacuum, usually 10 to the minus 5, 10 to the minus 6 and up. Um, so, so depending on the type of technology you're running, there's different kind of minimum levels that you can get away with. Okay. Um, one of the major things that that happens is is obviously for measurements. If you have a lot of air in the system, um, or trying to measure current or, or thrust or something, it would interfere with you know the particles actually coming out of of the thruster itself. So you don't know if the effects are from the thruster if you or if the th effects are from the background gases okay. and the background gases can also scatter the particles and, and, and other issues um, but in, in uh, from the technical standpoint um, when you're talking about like for ion thrusters and everything the the spacing between accelerating grids is incredibly small you're, you're talking about you know a millimeter or a fraction of a millimeter and if you were to apply you know uh, several thousand volts um, at that spacing um, in air, it would just arc over. High vacuum, um, high vacuum actually acts as a very, very good insulator. Mm. So you can get away with significantly higher um, voltages across areas oh. um, than than you would in atmosphere. And and more importantly, just the just the general physics of the thrusters itself, um, you can't you can't run like an ion beam. Or an electron beam. I mean, there are some very special niche um, electron beam systems you can actually operate in in air, but they're really, really, really specialized and not well well known. But just from the basic standpoint, um, you can't really operate um, ion beam systems at at high um, pressures or, or or atmosphere levels, um, okay. just because of the way that that the the, the physics are and. Plasma systems are a little bit different. Um, like, if you look at a very common implementation of a plasma thruster, an RF plasma thruster, um, that's essentially just an inductively coupled plasma torch. And so obviously that can be run at, at atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, we do it all the time for manufacturing and, and science mm -hmm. and analytical stuff. Um, but for, for thrusters, um, again, you want to, to look at characteristics of the performance and the plume without having any sort of extra interactions with the environment okay um all right that, that makes sense so it's essentially just a cleaner way to measure and and an ion systems they won't work in a non-vacuum like it has to be vacuum for for them to work due to the yeah um Okay. All right. So it's kind of like using the fact of space of the, the vacuum of space being a really good insulator, kind of to your own advantage. And, oh. Yeah, which can also present issues um, too. Like the the pulse plasma thrusters, the first ones that I worked on, um, because vacuum is such a good insulator. Um, the way that that thruster works is a pulse ablative. So it, you have an initial charge that ablates some plastic fuel like Teflon. That, that allows the main discharge between the electrodes to occur. Problem is, you know, getting that main um, spark to actually fire. And in my case, because I'm working with such a tiny, low-power system, um, it was, it's, it's a challenge to get it to, to spark reliably with the amount of space and power that I have available for that. Um, so it's, it, it's challenging because then I have to – I had to bring the uh, – 
the the igniter and and the the ground plane ca uh, electrode you know within a, a fraction of a millimeter of each other and um, mm -hmm. so so there are still definitely some challenges that come along with it but again the the, the key benefit is really you know you can you can get away with very very small spacings um, which works for for compact systems um, right. like the electro spray thruster I'm working on the the extractor and the emitter that emits the ions um you're you're looking at you know still a small fraction of a millimeter and these things are operating at you know i'm 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 aiming for an operation voltage of up to 3.5 kv um, so you're talking you know super super small spacing and still not be you know arcing over in those cases whoa uh, wow it's always that's so impressive how small things are. So say there there's a listener, there probably are listeners who are just getting started. What's a great place to get started creating uh, some good resources to um, get into building your own vacuums? Um, well, definitely. Um, like I said, there's there's a whole bunch of communities out there doing this stuff. There's a great Discord channel um, that I actually ended up. Um, joining when i very first started and, and when the one that the discord actually started up is the uh, vacuum hackers discord okay. um, so that's the one where you have tons of people from all over the world working on really cool vacuum projects mm -hmm. um and then going further if you want to get more into deeper studies um one of the nice things about vacuum engineering is that not really that much has changed over the years mm -hmm. so I, I actually purchased a whole bunch of um, really good old textbooks um, for super cheap online used and like a few dollars and some of them go back to the 60s but they're 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 absolutely amazing resources because everything that that they have there still applies to the sciences now and, and not too much has changed besides you know a little bit better systems and, and standards and, and stuff but um then really there's 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 just a there's a lot of resources um okay. online in general for 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 high vacuum engineering That's um that's, it is a little bit of a. That's a good idea to use um, tech, old textbooks. Uh, those those I found have, have been you know the, the the best resources for like the really in depth stuff because a lot of there's a lot of great overview stuff mm -hmm. like a lot of vacuum companies like Kurt J Lesker and things, um, they actually have really amazing articles on on all the basics of high vacuum. So they'll they'll go through all the pumping systems, all the technologies of different from things for leak checking and and measurements all the gauges and stuff that you have and all the different ranges so all these these companies and everything actually provide really awesome resources um, for getting involved with the stuff if you wanted to get into you know really hardcore vacuum engineering stuff like calculation of, of you know more, more in-depth um form and stuff then then the whole old textbooks are actually really great resources and and like i mentioned before um I open source everything, and that doesn't include the thrusters. That that's a lot of it. Um, a lot of what I started with was actually providing resources, more in-depth engineering resources for the community for vacuum systems. Mm. So so I have, um, you know, in the simulations page, I have simulations for all my chambers. Um, I have the actual files. There's there's a a free program from CERN called Moleflow. Oh. Um, that's actually a very powerful tool. 
it's used a lot in the accelerator community for for simulating vacuum systems so i have the files up for that that and i have walkthroughs of how to go through and simulating the chambers that i did i have all the cad models for my chambers i have all the calculations oh. so you can actually go through and see you know how i calculated the 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 pumping speed the throughputs the ultimate pressure various different gases and everything so and there's there's a whole um i think there's like a seven part tutorial that i also put up blogs earlier on where i i actually walk through the entire design process from start to finish for for one of the chambers um so i have been actively posting a lot of resources specifically for people who want to get into the vacuum sciences themselves uh, and want a little bit more in-depth coverage from the basic information that's out there. Yeah, congrats, dude, for, like, actually documenting. I know it's it's a joke in the software development world. Like, oh, document your work. <laughs> no one ever does that. But you, like, actually, wow, you that is that is really and it, it also And also, from my standpoint, and I mean, documenting it helps me because I always have, you know, I can go back and I can reference things. And, I mean, if I'm going to document everything i might as well put it up for other people to use too i mean no no point of keeping secrets with, with this stuff <laughs> uh, exactly you mean you mean to say that you you don't have to uh take a course at a four-year college and spend 500 bucks for <laughs> yeah i mean you you actually can get a degree in vacuum engineering but vacuum engineering is one of those areas that that's super hands-on mm -hmm. in order to really get a grasp and a feel for it. And, and, and it's, it's a very intuitive process because even with the calculations and stuff, these are all like super, super baseline, just grain of salt type stuff because so many things can go wrong. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of factors considered, you know, outgassing from materials, every material will have, will actually desorb some sort Sort of gas load into the system mm -hmm. um there's different gases to consider for water vapor is just the biggest killer of vacuum systems and it's mm -hmm. everywhere and you have you know leaks and permeation and virtual leaks and all this other stuff mm -hmm. that at the end of the day it's really about sitting down and getting your hands dirty and actually doing this stuff because once you actually play around with it and you get a feel for how things operate and and you, you develop a, an intuition for it. And I really think vacuum engineering is one of those engineering fields that really requires you to to actually do it hands on. Mm. Yeah, the vacuum engineering, the one uh, career that you want to suck. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, uh, wow! Okay, yeah, that yeah, that is that is those are some great resources. I'll definitely put some links in the show notes. Um, so you have your your website applied ions. You have your Twitter. Um, is that, that's about, do you have a YouTube channel or, uh, I do. So for, <clears throat> so I post all the videos of my thruster tests, um, all across the board. So still so Twitter and, um, on the website and, and Instagram and everything. But I've also started for the, the last couple of tests when I did them, um, I have started also live streaming the tests. Oh, nice. So whenever I have actually the next test that's coming up, the really big one for the electrospray stuff. I'm definitely going to be doing some live streams of that in operation, um, as well as some some just general videos of, of taking data with it and everything. Um, so, yep, there are definitely uh, videos up for, for a lot of the stuff that I, I do. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah, de de definitely have to check those out. Sounds so interesting. Oh, wow. 
I, 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 like, I love Elon Musk and the work he's doing in SpaceX, and we need people like that, but at the same time, we also need, you know, people like you to get their hands dirty, make this stuff cheaper and faster and better, and it's, yeah, it, it's it's incredible work that you're doing. Absolutely. And then really, really, like with the, uh, the, the nanosec community, especially with the pocket cubes, I mean, a lot of the, the, the driving force is, you know, a lot of people doing this themselves on, mm -hmm. on, you know, very low budgets or even, even in an academic setting, um, because, you know, pocket cubes can be built and launched much cheaper than even cube sets. Yeah. So it offers people a way to really access space much easier than before. What are the launch, it, launch costs for, for cube sets or for pocket cubes? Uh, for pocket cubes, I believe, um, for like a one P it starts around 25,000. So it's still not something really out of your pocket that you're going to be going to do, but Pun considering, intended. yeah. Um, but, but considering, um, you know, the costs for, for CubeSat launches are, are much Twice higher that, currently. Yeah. Um, it, it offers people a lot of easy access, easier access to space, especially for, you know, small startups and other groups pursuing research mm -hmm. um, for space stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, definitely. And um, probably taking up enough of your time. We kind of get back to the <laughs> grindstone. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, 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 uh, I've got plenty of time. So if you have any, any questions, feel free. I, I've got, I've got more than, and it's great to be here and talk about this stuff with you. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, and uh, so for, for this, um, we're, we're actually starting some new stuff. So uh, having a little, if you enjoy the podcast and enjoy the shows, I think we'll, by the time this episode airs, we'll have a Patreon where you can kind of help out, help keep us producing podcasts, make them better, make them fancier, reach more people, all that stuff. Um, probably have a link in the show notes for that. And also our YouTube channel uh, where we post all these podcasts and hopefully more content, more new content. Um, we're just kind of growing the community one bit at a time. And... Um, yeah, so ch check out Applied Ion stuff and uh, have fun building your awesome projects. Later, spacers! <laughs>